0: Welcome to the Marian Message presented by the Mosaic of Marian podcast. Each week we'll hear God's Word explored by Dr. Henry M. Meadows Jr. as he preaches from the pulpit of Marian Baptist Church in Chatham, Virginia. We pray that this message will be a blessing and further your walk with God. Let's join him now. The last couple weeks, as fans of specifically the, the Buffalo Bills, Careful, you're going to like where I'm going with this, bro. They had a massive snowstorm, two of them. And the, the people that came out to dig them out, it was amazing. And then the, their fans that would sit in zero degrees weather to watch that game. And then some of those that sat out in that in said zero degree temperature, after working hard to shovel it out as best they could, have no shirts on. Yet here we have A heated building for the wintertime, air-conditioned in the summertime, and the place that has the words of eternal life, and we have to beg people to come. Some of you are going, well, you're just trying to make us feel guilty. No, I'm just laying before you truth. I refuse to cower to people that want to fuss to give them an excuse why not to come. You don't come because you're not committed to Jesus. But you think you're going to get into heaven on a technicality. Today, I'm going to address that issue. And I'm going to address how you can know that you know. Because really today is sort of to be an uplifting sermon, but yet a sobering sermon as well. I've entitled this, What I Believe the Saddest Words for All Eternity. Now I believe the second half of this, if I were to give you two quotes from the saddest words for all eternity, this would be one that we're going to be at today. The second one would be when Paul was talking to King Agrippa And King Agrippa says, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. I wonder how many people are going to stand there, almost there, but still find themselves in a place called hell. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to get there in a minute, but I want you to turn first to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I am sore afraid that so many of us that claim to know Jesus don't. We put our stock in things like our church attendance. We put our stock and I literally, where's Miss, little Miss Kelsey? I prayed with Miss Kelsey right back there and, and there are others that can prove it. And I told her, this thing of being baptized is not what will take you to heaven. Don't pin your hopes on your eternal future in heaven on some act of being put under the water. It's not going to be a lot of yelling today and all that stuff, but I'm going to just be giving you facts today. But look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. But understand this, in the last days, there will become times of difficulty. Tell me if this is not descriptive of our society today. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless. Unappeasable, slanderous, without self control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. And then I'm going to get to the part that really ties it into today and ties it into why. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having an appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Where I really pray that today happens is that you look into your spiritual mirror of your life. When I get to heaven, I want to make sure you're all there. There. pray for you guys daily. And I pray for the lost. I don't want us to have a form of godliness around here, but deny the power thereof. So today I want to encourage you to know that you know. Standard reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 7. Leading up to this, I want to be real. Let me give you a really quick context of it. So in in the first part of chapter 7, we get that. It's it's part of the whole Sermon on the Mount, greatest sermon ever preached or written. We know Sermon on the Mount. And he's coming to the end with, and and here we get where in in the first part of chapter 7, he talks about judging others. You know, that's what we, boy, Christians Quote, unquote, I'm going to put that in quotes because some are not, I don't really believe. But boy, they grab hold to this text. There's one text that, uh, quote, unquote, churchgoer knows. It's chapter 7. Because as soon as you say something to them, you look at their life and you simply say things like this. Hey, brother, sister, man, I know you're a believer. you, You claim Jesus, but the things you're doing. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Scripture says don't judge me. I'm not judging you if I'm just telling you what I see. Judging is when you make a guess based on what you think. If I just say, Daniel, I've noticed in your life, brother, you're sort of doing this, and Scripture clearly teaches that's not good. That's not judging. That's being a good brother. So that's what it talks about. and then, he, then we get to this, that ask, seek, and knock for what we want. And I think we so forget that. We just think God's going to give it to us a la carte, or just because we get saved, this name it and claim it, prosperity gospel. That's not what that's about. And then we get to the golden rule. Wouldn't it be great if we live by that again? Some of you probably don't even know what the golden rule is. I would hearken to you and encourage you to go read it when you get home today. And then, then we get to the part that is just the antithesis, that people, so if we love the first part of chapter 7, most folk hate these next few verses. You will know them by their fruit. Hank didn't say it. Jesus said it. He says, a good tree can't bear bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. And by the way, the fruit, and he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit, you'll know them by it. And then we get, and it just correlates right to what, and so then he goes into what we're talking about today. So right off the heels that you're going to know them by their fruit, here's what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And here's the key to this whole paragraph and thought right here. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, that's the key that unlocks your assurance. You should write that down. That's the key that unlocks the assurance that you can have deep inside of you. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Whole lot of talk there, wasn't it? And then I would declare to them. Here they are. You should never be able to read these without a tear in your eye. Depart from me. I never knew you. You workers of lawlessness. Father. Father. God, break our hearts for the lost. Break our own heart here today if, Lord, we're one of the ones who is lost. That, God, you may draw the net today not so that Marion could say anything other than to God be the glory. Hell is a real place where many will spend eternity. Because your scripture says narrow is the gate that leadeth to heaven, but wide is the gate that leadeth to destruction. And God, you've given us a drive and a purpose and a commandment and a commission to tell everybody about a Savior. God, we love you today. In the name of Jesus, amen. may be seated. So you read these verses, and what do you get? Here's what I pray you get. I don't want to hear those words. Having set it up as I did, I pray that in your mind, here's your first thought of this. I don't want to hear the words, depart from me, I never knew you. Can there be any sadder words in all of Scripture? Because then he says, depart from me. And if you tie it in, I'm going to tie this back in in the end. The next time we really hear this word depart using this context is in Matthew 25, 41. Depart from me into everlasting torment that was created for the devil and his angels. So today, when you leave this place, here's my one goal today. To make sure you know what true salvation looks like. So that when you walk out of those doors, you'll answer this way. I know that I know. That's what I want you to do today. So let's look at the three things. Number one, true salvation has this assurance attached to it. True salvation has assurance attached to it. As we read this, we, we see there's got to be more than just a confession of Lord than just words that we speak. Because anybody can say that. Anybody says anything today and nobody thinks else. You've got to be more than just something you say. It's something that we have to do as well. Then too many of us will base our, our salvation upon our feelings of today I feel saved, but tomorrow I don't. Do you understand that God in heaven does not want you to be that way? We are the only faith that can look you in the eye and say you can absolutely know for sure you're going to heaven. Others say, well, you've got to get to this place of nirvana if you live good enough. And this other one says, well, if, you, if your good works outweigh your bad works, and you're going to, can I make this statement? If Hank Meadows was to live on this and say, if Hank's good works outweighed his bad works, and then go to heaven, here's the truth about Hank Meadows. I'm going to hell. And so are you. Preacher, how dare you say that? I dare based on Scripture. Romans chapter 3 verse 10 says what? There's none good. No, not one. We can go to Old Testament Isaiah who said, all of your righteousness is as filthy rags. You're not good enough to get into heaven on your own. You could never pay the sin debt if you lived a thousand lives. So how can we have this assurance? Flipping your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We're going to do a lot of Scripture today. Take you to a lot of places, and I'm going to give you some fact. Romans chapter 6, and this is just a jumping off point for where else we're going to go. Notice what the Bible says here. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit. That we are children of God. Bible also says that there, a matter is settled on the. Truth, a witness of two people. Well, you have me and the Holy Spirit. But it's the Spirit bearing witness through our actions, through who we are. He whispers it in that intimate moments that we have. He'll whisper that you're his child. It's more than just a feeling that can come and go. The Spirit says, you're mine. Yes, there are times when the relationship is broken, when you're in sin. But you never lose me. He will tell you in the inner place that you're a child of his. He'll speak directly to your heart. Well, preacher, I'm not getting a word from the Holy Spirit. Okay, read the verse again. He bears witness. So if you're not getting a word from God, what does that tell you? you got to hold on to that and listen. Flip over to 1 John now. You guys know, First John is my favorite book of the Bible, and here's why it's my favorite book, because 32 times in five short chapters, John answers the question. He says, you can know. How many of us want to rest our eternity on some hope-so faith? Not I. Because here's the truth. No one knows when they're going to draw their last breath. So in 1 John chapter 3, look at this. 1 John chapter 3, uh, starting at verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And here, that's the key. And here we go. Verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth. And I love this. And reassure our hearts. He said, I don't want you to live where you're just loving in word and truth. And we know, well, I'm going to answer that in point two. I'm going to really deal with that. Don't just love in word and truth, but do it in deed. Help somebody. Let the Spirit, and by the way, the, with the Spirit, when he's talking about bears witness, he begins to produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life. He begins to pour it out in you as you closely are intimate with him. He'll begin to produce things like love, joy, pace, patience. P- Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self control. He'll produce those things in your life. You don't have to work it up. You ever been to an orchard? I've just for it, and I'm not going to go like I did before, but you never see a, a fruit tree making noises trying to push the fruit out. No, the fruit tree just produces what's on the inside, nothing else. And an apple tree produces apples. A pear tree pears. By this we shall know we are of the truth. And by the way, Jesus is the truth. Go over now, flip over a page, go to 1 John chapter 5. Look at verse 13, the Bible says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may hope that you have eternal life. What? Your translation doesn't say hope. It says what? Oh. Oh. So does mine. Matter of fact, I even have the the Greek written in mine. See, there's two words for know in Greek in First John. It's gnosko and ido. Ido here is what is used, and it literally means to see and to be aware. But as you see, and I, when you get really, a, you're a word nerd and you go to a concordance, and yes, I have an actual book that's a concordance because I like to get my hands a little dirty. I like to hear those pages flip and I open it up and then I'm reading to see to beware. but it says also comparable to, boom. And so I looked over at the other number and the other number said this. It said it means to gaze at something that's remarkable. You want me to tell you what's the most remarkable thing in all the world? For a sinner to be born again. For a sinner to actually have the opportunity to be born again. That the Holy Spirit would come and wash away my sins. Because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and wash away. and come to live inside of me and then live out from me. And I was a sinner that was bound for hell. And now I'm a saint bound for heaven. And by the way, before you look cross-eyed at me, the Bible says that we're all saints. We're not stinking angels. And then I love this. An inspection. In other words... I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life by inspection. Are you doing what the Bible says to do? Are you living out this thing called the fruit of the Spirit? Are you bearing fruit in your life? Is there something more to your life than just, well, I walked an aisle. I had a preacher say some words over me when he put me under the water. I said, notice what we don't read in this passage, and that's the word hope. Jesus wants you to know that you know. Flip over in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 6. I preached this passage back in June. Here's another way that you can know, and this is the assurity also. Look at verse 19. He's been talking about the unchangeable nature of God and and Abraham and how we should be growing and the certainty of God's promise. And then he says this in verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope. Now that word hope there, that's not a no-so hope. That word hope literally means a certainty. That's what that word means in Greek, a certainty that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Translated, it means that you and I can go to the very place that the high priest could only go once a year on the Day of Atonement. They could only go then and they had to prepare and they had to do certain rituals. But you and I, based upon the blood of Jesus Christ, washed in our life and given over for us, we can now enter into the very Holy of Holies, write to God the Father and go before him and say, Hey, Father. We can carry our needs directly. We don't have to have an intercessor, although Jesus Christ is our intercessor. There are times when we can just go right to the very throne and say, God, Father, I need this. We can easily say, God, would you give me some assurity that I'm yours? And as he speaks back to you, it'll be an anchor for your soul. How do you live if you don't know for certain that when you, if you drew your last breath, you go to heaven? How do you live that way? How do you let go of your children if you're not sure? I want to take you to a few passages, and I want you to see if you see the word hope here. Go to John chapter 3. Look down at verse 16. You may have heard of this verse before. Listen closely, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I do not hear, read, hear, or see one word of hope there. I read you can know and have. He doesn't say that if you do all this, there's a possibility you could have eternal life. He does say, if you do all this, we'll see if you're still good enough to have eternal life. Now flip over to Romans chapter 10. Look at verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Is there any hope so in that? And then we can skip on down the verse, um, verse uh, where I want it? Verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I know you're going, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, whoa whoa, whoa, whoa. Over there it says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. That's why I'm talking to you today. There's got a distinction to it. Do you have the assurance on the inside? Let me give you number two. True salvation is active in all aspects of it. I created a new word in early morning this morning, y'all. I I, I meant to check, see if it was a word. Bill Webking says it was, because I said it. I love Bill. He's a good dude. Kid you not, he spoke up, Lisa, right in service this morning. Proclamative. If you're basing your salvation on just a proclamative statement, how can you just have any assurance in that? Some of you guys, I see you breaking out your phone already to look, see if that's a word or not. Been sort of heavy here. I thought you'd give a little moment of lightness. I have no clue if it's a word or not and don't really care. It is for this sermon. You don't like it? When you preach your own sermon, you can preach how you and I have to use it. I don't care. It's my sermon. There is always actions involved. If we were to go back to Matthew 7, did you catch it? He only talks about saying stuff, that you never put actions to your your words. And so if we're going to really talk about this, we got to see some scriptures that say this. So go to James chapter 2. James chapter 2, I'm not going to read this entire passage to you, but notice what the Bible says. called Scripture interprets Scripture, y'all. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Listen to what he says. Can that faith save him? Can a faith that is only spoken... Can a faith that is only spoken with the mouth? Can that ever faith? Can that faith ever save you when there's nothing else to back it up? You show no fruit. You show no growth. You show nothing except for words. I mean, I can sit here and say that that wall is chartreuse. It's my favorite color. I can't see it, but I, I love that color because I love that name. I just know when I read upon a, a, a lure when I'm fishing, and my favorite color to use of a worm when I'm jig fishing for bass is chartreuse. They bite chartreuse year-round. But I could tell you that, I hope, is that chartreuse? No, I'm saying, is that color chartreuse? Okay, praise Jesus. Or my illustration would fall apart. I could tell you that was chartreuse every day of my life until the cows come home. That's not going to make that chartreuse. I could claim that I'm saved and never have anything change on the inside of me and that does not mean that I'm saved. And salvation always has action with it because it's the Holy Spirit producing fruit. He doesn't just save you and say, just sit and do nothing. You become a fruit bearer. Look down and it says, so, also, verse 17 by faith, by faith by itself, it does not have works, is dead. Someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. We miss that part. We want a no cost salvation, no cost does anything to get my fire suit so I can go spend eternity and I'm going to live how I want to live. I believe that's unbiblical faith. Flip over to Hebrews chapter 12. I was laughing. I told him this morning, so Thursday afternoon, I really got really deep into this and I was putting it all together, this, this sermon, and I, I flipped over here to Hebrews chapter 12 and I said this to myself, What? are you reading that verse for? And so I sat there literally stunned. I'm going, I have no idea why I put this verse here. Why did I go and get this verse? What does this verse have to do with what I'm talking about? So then I'm like, okay, let me go to Hebrews chapter two. Maybe it's there. Let me go to Hebrews. I was like, did I get dyslexic? Did I get, what what did happen to my head, man, when I was doing this? And then I read it and I slowed down and I said, oh yeah. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. He's talking about assurance here. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Let us offer to God acceptable worship. Do you realize that when you are obedient to Christ and you bear fruit, that's worship? Do you understand that your life is to be one great big act of worship? That when you do the things that the, the Holy Spirit brings out of you, when you begin to produce that, that is an act of worship. When you share the gospel with somebody, that's an act of worship. When you sing these beautiful songs, an act of worship. When you live a godly life, that's an act of worship because you've given it over to him. He did not say, listen, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Listen, that's just not just hooey-pooey right there. It's an act of worship to do that. When you say it's not about me, how many of us can get to this point? Some of us won't because we are too self-centered. We're too self-righteous. We're too self-absorbed to say, God, I want to deny myself so I can glorify you by my life and I surrender all to you because I want to live a life of obedience that is active in all parts of it. You may say, well, how do I do that? And I'm not going to walk through all these, but go go over to Hebrews chapter 5. I mean, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 5. Scripture, just if you go through it, is replete with places. That tells us that it's got to be more than just some verbal confession. It's got to have action to it also. Here in Ephesians, if you follow me on Facebook, you know, I was reading this Tuesday morning early and I read this and it just hit me, man. Therefore, be imitators of God. I've told, I told him this morning truthfully again. Greatest picture I have of me and my son. I mowed this lady's yard that we lived in Richmond. She was in the cul-de-sac, and I sort of tried to help take care of her and tried to love on her was working. And so I mowed her grass, and she had certain ways she wanted me to mow it. And, you know... It, was never right, but I tried. But it one day without knowing it, Drew was inside with her because Drew would hang out with her for a while. And, and so I was in her backyard where she made me push. I don't know why. It was just a pile of dirt back there. But I had to push the, her backyard. And so there I am sweating, man, just crazy. And there I am pushing. And there's my son right behind me with his little toy lawnmower imitating his dad. And so when I read this Tuesday morning, I just, that picture popped up in my brain, and I said, Man, that is so what we ought to be like with Jesus. We're called to imitate him. Man, we want to imitate all these superstars and rock stars and all this and all that. What will that get you? Nothing. Be you. And imitate God. And how do you do that? He gives us several things right here, really quickly, because i got to get to point three. Number two, verse two, walk in love. Well, preacher, there are just some people that I cannot love. That's a lie from the pit. Jesus Christ loved you when you didn't love him. And Romans 5.5 says that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. And by the way, the very first fruit, which I believe all the other fruit flow from, as the fruit of the Spirit, is love. Don't tell me, no, don't tell me you can't love somebody. You choose not to love them because you're of the Father that's the Father of lies. Walk in love. We're going down here just a little bit Father, It says in verse 8, walk as children of light. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Show them the truth of the gospel. Then we go on down here a little bit farther um, at verse um, um, 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as the unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. I don't have time to get in political arguments. I don't have time to hear all that mess, man. Here's what I want to tell people about Jesus, man. That there was a God in heaven that loved them so much, that stepped out of heaven, that died on a cruel cross for them to die for their sins. I love 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him I might become the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what I want to tell folk about. Get in your little piddly, pedly pepperoni styled, I couldn't think of another P there, political rants and fights and all that mess that will not matter. What matters is the gospel. If you get them the gospel, everything else you want about them to change will change. The gospel. Then lastly, true salvation has an actual involvement of change. Grace is always a catalyst of change. That's why when you're having these paltry arguments, okay, so you convert me to your side right now. You didn't change me. You conformed me. I'm still the other dude. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that you can prove what is a good and perfect and acceptable will of God. If there's no change, there's no Christ. Period. Well preacher, how do we change? I, I need this. Go to Titus chapter two. If you've been here on Wednesday nights, man, we've covered this so many times and it is so truthful and beneficial. So I said it's all about the gospel. And by the way, you guys go to Titus. I want to tell you something right here. Because here, notice what it says. This is why it's got to be changed. Because if I were to go back and then I would declare to you, I never knew you. That points to intimacy. You never were intimate with Jesus. John 10, he talks about that intimacy. Depart from me. It's a sentence to the ultimate hell. You workers of lawlessness. That is in a uh, present participle. It means it's an ongoing, continuous, regular action. It's habitually um, uh, practiced in your life. So that if there's no change, what it means, scripturally speaking, that if you do not change from who you were, you are continually, habitually practicing the same mess that you were pre some mouthing of some prayer. But what happens in Titus chapter 2, look at verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us. The word there is teaching us. We get our word pedagogy from it. It means there's going to be something that will teach you the absolute truth and light of Jesus. Here's what he teaches us, to renounce ungodliness. See, there's got to be change. The very first thing it says, it's going to teach you to renounce ungodliness. And I believe there's something important about the very first thing it says. To renounce, to get rid of, to denounce it, to say that's not right. Ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live. I love this. And there's the first one here. Self-controlled. See, if you're going to... He's right on the heels of that. These these what is this to call them? This ungodliness and worldly passions. So the very if you're passionate about this, what he says is, I want you to be self-controlled, upright, and godly in this present age. You can't come to Jesus and stay the same, y'all. Too many have tried it for too long. I want you to hear me clearly, and then I'm done. If you're trying to get into heaven on a technicality, you're not. Period. If you've made this. Verbal profession of faith. But your life has not changed one iota. You still go do everything you used to do with all your buddies. You still party. You still do this. You still do that. I'm here to tell you. You ain't got it. Now I'm not trying to tell you who's saved and who's not. I'm telling you to check yourself. But I just wonder. How many of us. And this absolutely breaks my heart. We'll sit in the church based upon some false profession of faith thinking we got it. The day we draw our last breath, we don't hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into my rest. We hear, Depart from me, I never knew you, you worker of lawlessness. If that's not the saddest words for all eternity, I don't know what is. And we ought to make sure everybody in our family knows it. And all of our friends. We pray for you, Father. We'll do anything. At times, Lord. Thanks for listening to the Marion message presented by the Mosaic of Marion podcast. If you would like to know more, you can reach us on our Facebook page or on our website www.marianbcva.com.